Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent, here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham. You can check us and other podcasts out at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. Um, one of our contributors and team members, Travis Rogers, just posted an article on pedo baptism, which has gotten a lot of attention. Um, go check out Twitter. <laughs> um, but you can check that and other articles out at theparticularbaptist.net. And if you're on our YouTube channel and have not yet subscribed, hit the subscribe button and hit the bell to be notified of new videos that are put on the channel. And with that, we're going to continue on in our discussion of uh, an Orthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins. We're in chapter 11. Um, this might be a short episode today. It's not a very long chapter. The topic isn't too big. Um, so this might be a pretty quick episode. Um, but the chapter is called The Third Part of Man's Cyclonus Prayer. Uh, so it's on prayer. Um, so we're going to be talking about that today. We're nearing the end. We have one more chapter after this, which is the Nicene and Athanasian creeds. And we'll take some time um, in the near future to go through those creeds as well, which is timely for a lot of the uh, Sola Scriptura discussion floating around the reform world today. But let's dive into chapter 11. Excuse me. Question 134. Why is it why is prayer necessary for Christians? Answer because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us and also because God gives his grace and holy spirit to those who with sincere groanings ask them continually of him and give him thanks for them. And then question 135. What is required for our prayers to please God and be heard by him? That we ask of the whole of the only true God who has manifested himself in his word, all things which he has commanded to be asked of him, this is to be done with a true affection and desire of our heart. As well, we are through inward feeling of our need and misery to cast ourselves prostrate in the presence of his divine majesty and build ourselves on the sure foundation that we, though unworthy yet for Christ's sake, are certainly heard by God, even as he has promised us in his word. So we see here um, early on the necessity of prayer, and we see what is required for our prayers uh, to please God. So in other words, the, the posture of our prayers and, and how we approach God is, is very important. Prayer is how we directly communicate with God, um, and uh, obviously when we're saved, we're, we're communicating to God the Father um, on the grounds of Christ being our mediator, but we have direct access to God to be able to pray to him. And the scriptures have given us guidelines of what prayer looks like. Our Lord gave us the Lord's prayer, which gives us a guideline of what prayer looks like. Um, but prayer is absolutely necessary for Christians. One, because the scriptures give us examples of this. Two, because we're fully dependent upon God. We cannot uh, pretend like we are able to get through life or handle our sins or our troubles on our own. And I think a lack of prayer is a sign of pride because it seems that we think that we can uh, do all of these things on our own. We can act upon our own strength, and that's problematic. So when we don't pray at all it show, or our prayer life is is sorely lacking, I think it's evidence of pride and other distractions that really shouldn't be there. Now, I'm, 
I want to be careful. I'm not saying that we have to create a legalistic regimen of prayer, but prayer should just be a natural part of the Christian's life. We see ourselves as wholly dependent on God, and we want to talk to him as well. If we believe that God hears us and that God will do what he says through prayer, then we should be people who pray continually and on a regular basis. Um, And we should also ask for things that are uh, in accordance with God's will. Jesus said in John 14, 13 through 14, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So the desires of our hearts when we come to pray should be in accordance with the will of God. Jesus isn't giving, excuse me, Jesus is not giving us license to pray for anything like, oh, I'm, I want the big house. It, that's the that's the gospel of the prosperity preachers, which we reject wholeheartedly. It's praying in accordance with the will of God, which can be his, uh, per, you know, his prescriptive will is found in the scriptures or his decretive will, um, praying that his will be done on this earth. And then how we pray in public worship is also very important. We come with those right motives and that right posture for God. And in, in public worship, we should pay special attention uh, to our prayers. Anything to add, Sean? Um, uh, going back to the, the why do we pray, oftentimes is asked of Calvinists, well, if the future is determined, why mm. pray? Mm-hmm. And that gets into the whole discussion of, well, this is the means by which uh, the future is accomplished, that God's decree is accomplished. Um, we might pray for someone's salvation and God, God saves them. Um, and there's a, a sense in which that would not have happened if we were to have not prayed. Um, not that there was any real um, danger of that not happening because God also decreed my prayer. But um, whatever the case might be, um, if we need to pray, um, and that's how God's decree comes about. Um Moving on to question 136 and 137, uh, what are those things which God commands us to ask of him? Answer, all things necessary both for soul and body, which our Lord Jesus Christ has comprised in the prayer he taught us. Question 137, what prayer is that? Answer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So going back to the uh, the first question here, um, you, you'll note that it says that all things necessary both for soul and body. And we do see this in the Lord's Prayer. Um, we're, uh, we're praying for our daily bread but we're also uh, praying to not be led into temptation. We have both the spiritual and physical um, being referenced here. And to go back to something uh, Dan said earlier, um, when it says all things necessary, um, we are to pray for all things um, necessary for our soul and body. And um, anything that you don't think you need to ask for is something you're implicitly saying you don't need God's help with. Um, And to some extent, this is fine. Um, I don't yet pray things like, Lord, help me to get out of the bed this morning. Um, Although as I get older, that might be a prayer that I need to make. Um, (laughs) 
it, it, uh, it depends. There's things that right now don't seem like I need help with, but um, as we are completely dependent on God for everything, it might become a little bit more manifest that I do need help with that. Uh, and prayer is a time to consider our need of God. Um, uh, it's not something to rush through, it's something to, to reflect and make sure that I am asking for what, what I need um, and uh, the reflection to make sure that I'm not prideful and not presuming on God's uh, graciousness. We, we ask and it glorifies God because we're acknowledging our need of him. Um, so it's important to reflect on that. Yeah, that's exactly right, Sean. They, when we, it's like the, I can't remember the passage. It it might be in one of the Thessalonian letters that we're to give thanks in all circumstances, right? And I, I think that not only can be just a thankfulness of heart, but also a thankfulness of prayer. We can express that in prayer that we are to, it's just this continuous lifestyle of prayer and thankfulness and humility and, and resting in um, and depending upon God and, a, and just a lack of prayer, lacking in prayer is going to, um, is going to show a heart attitude of pride. It's going to show her attitude of pride. So, and it, it's very easy to forget, you know, we're, we're out, you know, we're running around, we're busy. We got a thousand things going on. And I think it's easy to forget to just stop and pray and ask the Lord to help us. I know it's something that I need to work on more. Um, you know, we, we just, our minds are in a thousand different places and it's so easy to forget, but if we don't rely on our Lord through prayer, it can, it, it can show itself, I think, practically in our lives in ways that are negative. You know, we might be more stressed than we need to be because we didn't pray that the Lord would help us to be less anxious when he tells us, you know, to trust in the Lord in Matthew six. Right. So I think we neglect the tool um, more than we ought, and it can lead to unnecessary consequences that could have been avoided. When we we have that direct access to God to be able to pray to Him, and He's promised to help His children. So it's uh, it's something to remember. And it's one of those things where you might pray and not think anything is being done, but you don't right. know how how it would have been without that prayer. Um, if things would have gone a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. We I think we just don't take prayer very seriously. We think, oh yeah, we just pray, you know, okay, let's pray, let's let's bow our heads, we just go through the motions. But we are pray you know, when we tell someone, Hey brother, I'll pray for you, um, I think it's important that we, including us here, we just we stop and we realize what we're saying. We're telling that person that we're going to call upon the almighty God on your behalf. And some people might think, you know, it's a rote thing to say, Oh, I'll pray for you. And maybe it can, it can be, maybe sometimes we say that instinctively without really thinking it through or, and we forget to pray for them later. Um, but what we're doing is really beneficial for them. We're praying on their behalf to the almighty God. And we should really believe that. And it shouldn't just be, a pithy saying that we say, or um, something wrote that we say just to be nice. Um, we are really praying to God and he really can enact change on that person and help them. Um, so we should really use that to inform how we act with our prayers. 
All right, question 130, uh, 138. Make sure I find my place here. All right. Are Christians tied to this very form of prayer? And this is referring to the Lord's Prayer. Answer, we are not. Our Lord here delivers to his church a brief summary of those things which we are to ask of God. Christ will have us also to ask for special things or particular benefits. The form prescribed is nothing else but a set of headings or general categories wherein all benefits, both bodily and spiritual, are implied. But all particulars of prayer must agree and correspond with this general form. We are not tied to this form, as appears from James 1.5, where the apostle exhorts the saints, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask of God who gives to all liberally. Though these words are not in the form of prayer, particularly expressed in the Lord's Prayer, they are implied. Besides, we have examples of prayer both in the Old and New Testament, which are not in the form here expressed, though all they asked was comprehended in this prayer. Therefore, the form of prayer deliver, delivered to us by Christ is a thing indifferent. So basically, uh, what Collins is saying here is that we're, the Lord's Prayer is not a rote thing, right? We don't say the Lord's Prayer, and, and that becomes the only type of prayer that we say, or the only prayer. We don't recite the Lord's Prayer um, and, and to the exclusion of anything else. And he's going to other examples like James 1.5 and other examples in the Old Testament where the form was different in terms of how it was expressed, but the principles of the Lord's Prayer were all found there. And I think what he's trying to say is that the general categories, like we're relying on God, we're asking God for help, we're asking God to keep us from sin, we're praying for his glory, all those important aspects of prayer should be there, but we don't have to pray you know, our Father who art in heaven, et cetera, et cetera, um, in the exact uh, verbiage that's found in the Lord's Prayer. And that, if we're not careful, that can lead us to kind of a legalistic mindset um, that, okay, if I say the Lord's Prayer, you know, I've, I've checked the box, I'm good. And this is where we find uh, Roman Catholics, ironically, falling into this. You know, hey, you, you said you're Hail Marys, you, you have to say this prayer, the specific prayer, and you'll be fine, Right. He would have taken care of whatever problem that is. So it, it saves us from being rote, and it saves us from tying um, too much to the form and not to uh, really a heart attitude, right? And while we're still to follow the general principles found in the prayer, because Jesus does, it is a command. When Jesus commands, he said, pray in this way, right? It's not something we should throw out. Um, but it's also not rote. Jesus is just giving us an example of what the form of prayer looks like, not a rote exercise. Um, so that's very important to um, to keep in mind. And question 139, why does Christ teach us to call God our Father at the beginning of this prayer? Answer, that he might stir up in us such a reverence and confidence in God as is proper for the sons of God. This must be the ground and foundation of our prayer. That is, that God through Christ is made our Father and will much less deny us these things which we ask of him with a true faith than our earthly parents deny us earthly things. So basically, what he's saying here is we're to come to God with faith, that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Right? We look at Matthew 7, 9-12, and this is what Collins is alluding to here. 
says, or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, also do to them, for this is the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, 9 through 12. So Jesus is saying that our Heavenly Father is going to take care of us, right? We ask for things that we need. He's going to give those things to us that we need. Uh, might not be in the way that we want, but he's promised to take care of us. And this is Matthew 7, right after Matthew 6, where Jesus established that the Father does take care of his children, that we're not to be anxious. We're to be trusting in him, and God is going to take care of us. But we still are required to, you know, to ask of God. James talks about this as well. You have not because you ask not, right? And then you ask with the wrong intentions when you do ask, so you can spend them on your, your worldly pleasures. So again, the, the heart attitude and, and following these general principles that we find in the Word in terms of what prayer is to look like is really how our prayer life um, should be marked. Um, so it, it's very important that these elements are in, in our prayer life. Oh, you're muted, Sean. Sorry about that. No, it's um, okay. <laughs> moving on to uh, question 140. Why are the words, who is in heaven, added? Answer, that we conceive not basely nor mundanely of God's heavenly majesty, and also that we look for and ex expect from his omnipotence whatever things are necessary for our soul and body. So this is sort of a contrast um, with the previous question, because there we saw God has called our father. And now he's uh, which is signifying his closeness to us, his imminence. But now um, he's uh, we're declaring that he's in heaven. And uh, that's a reminder of his holiness and in, in some senses is uh, far awayness from us. Um, but it's a declaration of his holiness. Um it reminds us that he is the one that is in heaven. He is the one that has all authority and power. And though we get to call him father, he is still over us. And then I wanted to read one of the proof texts um, uh, cited under this question, although I'll go one verse further than the uh, proof text. Um, this is Acts 17 verses 24 through 27. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he made from them, uh, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed pre times and the boundaries of their dwelling, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live, live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Great um, philosophy, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, so it's uh, Paul here is bringing up the fact that God is in the heavens and doesn't need anything. Um, he doesn't dwell on earth in things that were made with human hands and is not worshipped in that manner. And... Uh, reflecting on the fact that he is our father in heaven 
is a reminder of that. And it's a good way to start this prayer to remember he is our father, but also he is the uncreated one that doesn't need anything here on the earth. I think that's a, a good way to think about it. Um, question 141. What is the first petition? Answer, hallowed be your name. In this we are asking that you would grant us first to know you rightly and to worship, praise, and magnify your almighty goodness, justice, mercy, and truth, which shine in all your works. Also, we are asking you to direct our whole life, thoughts, words, and works to the end that your most holy name be not reproached by us, but rather renowned uh, with honor and praises. So I'll admit... Um, Prior to being a Christian, and maybe even early on as a Christian, I don't remember exactly when I realized that I was wrong about this, I misunderstood uh, what hallowed be your name meant. I thought it was just a declaration that God's name is hallowed. Uh, but you mm. look in the, uh, the Greek, and it is an imperative. It's not, it's not a declaration. It's a request, hallowed be your name, so that your name would be hallowed in the earth, uh, in our lives. We are requesting that God's name be sanctified uh, in our prayer. And it's very interesting that this is the first petition that we have. Um, it shows the priority that um, we'll get into petitions of our needs later. But um, the first petition is that God's name be hallowed, it be glorified. Um, that is our first priority as servants of him. The first uh, and greatest commandment is you shall uh, love the Lord your God. Um, it's not to love ourselves or to love neighbor, although that's that's second. Um, it's to love God. So we're to first pray for his glory because um, he's the one worthy of it. So I find it uh, I found it very interesting that that's how the prayer starts. Yeah. And it's interesting that um, these are known as, you know, we're going to get into these. These are known as the petitions. Right. When the Lord's Prayer is talked about in a catechism context it seems that it's broken up into these petitions you're asking god to do something right so we have hallowed be your name and then in question 142 which is called the second petition says your kingdom come oh what is second petition answer your kingdom come in this we are asking that you would rule us by your word and spirit that we may humble and submit ourselves more and more to you also, we ask that you would preserve and increase your church, destroy the works of the devil, and all power that lifts up itself against your majesty. Make all those counsels frustrated and void which are taken against your word, until finally you reign fully and perfectly, when you shall be all in all. So basically, we're asking... Um, we're asking God to establish his rule. We're basically acknowledging God's sovereignty over his creation, over everything, and, and submitting ourselves to that rule. And Collins is really is a master at looking at the implications of these passages. If you, Those of you who listened to last week's episode on the law of God, you see all these tentacles that kind of sp that spread out from the different commands. You know, we talked about murder. Murder is more than just um, just killing someone physically. It's also having to do with hatred in your heart. Um, so Collins is really a master at pulling out these implications that we see here in, uh, in Scripture, and he's doing that here. But really what we see from the simple phrase, your kingdom come, 
We're asking God to establish his kingdom on the earth, that he would establish his rule. And it is a declaration of the submission of ourselves to his lordship. Um, so uh, we're basically starting off early on with the prayer that God's name would be hallowed. It would be revered in all the earth. And then that God would rule on the earth, that he would establish his kingdom. And it shows submission uh, to him. And this, notice that both of these things, as it relates to God, come before we start talking about ourselves, right? We're praying that God's, this is corresponding with what Jesus said, we're praying in accordance with the will of God, right? Praying that God's will, his rule, his name, things pertaining to God be established before we pray uh, for us. And I think that sets the stage and sets the mindset for how we should pray. We should pray with a mindset um, of glorifying God first before we pray for our, our selfish needs. Um, so it's it's it really sets the stage um, for where the priority should be in our prayers. Prayer is not ultimately about us. Um, and then question 143, what is the third petition? Answer. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We are asking that you grant that we and all men, renouncing and forsaking our own will, may readily and without any grudgingly obey your most holy will. This we pray that every one of us may faithfully perform that duty and charge which you have committed to us, even as the blessed angels do in heaven. So, again, talking... in in accordance with uh, John 14, we're asking that God's will be done. We're praying in accordance with the will of God. This is what that means. It's not asking for God to give me earthly pleasures just for the sake of earthly pleasures, as the prosperity preachers will teach. This is um, about God's will being done. His kingdom is being established, and his will is being done in light of that kingdom. Right? We're asking God's reign to rule um, us, and we're praying that his will be done in heaven and on earth. Anything to add, Sean? No, I think you, uh, I think you got it there. Um, All right. Mo moving on to question 144, what is the fourth petition? Answer, give us this day our daily bread. We ask that you give to us everything which is needful for this life that by these things we may acknowledge and confess you to be the only fountain from which all good things flow. We also confess that all our care and industry and even your own gifts are unfavorable and harmful to us unless you bless them. Grant that, turning our trust away from all creatures, we place it and rest it in you alone. So uh, finally, after three petitions, we are now at the point we are praying for our own needs. And um, as we've brought up before, note that it isn't praying for something grandiose like great riches. We're not praying for that. Uh, it's it's praying for our daily meat needs. Give us our daily bread. It's not even looking any more forward than the current day that's in front of us. Um, and as the Catechism notes, it's important to remember that through this prayer, God is the one that uh, provides for our needs. Uh, that's a common theme throughout all these questions, and it is a important one uh because we're, we're liable to forget question 145 what is the fifth petition forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us 
on the basis that the blood of Christ do not impute unto us, most miserable and wretched sinners, any of our offenses or the corruption which still cleaves to us. By your grace in our hearts, we sincerely purpose to pardon and forgive all those who have offended us. So this gets into uh, the question about whether or not the fifth petition is dealing with judicial forgiveness or uh, it's forgiveness of what we might call God's fatherly displeasure. I take the side that this is um, God's fatherly displeasure. Uh, I don't think it's judicial forgiveness in the sense of we're praying to be justified for our sins, because we know in that sense, we've already been justified by faith. In fact, the prayer starts out with our father and we know that those that are not, um, that are not right with God cannot rightly call him their father because they're, they're, at enmity with them, they have not been adopted into the family of God. So this is already a, this is a Christian praying this, and um, they have already had forgiveness of their sins. So this is forgiveness in the sense of we do wrong, uh, even when we're justified, and that might earn us God's chastening, although it's a, a fatherly chastening, um, and we still ask for forgiveness in that sense. But it's not forgiveness of our sins. Um, judicially if it was it would turn this into a sort of works uh, thing because we're asking to be forgiven as we forgive others and um it's not our level of forgiveness of others that is meriting our justification uh, it, it can't do that we can only uh we can only be justified in christ by faith that is the only way i don't know if you had any comments about that there dan yeah it's interesting um and I think it's good that you brought up because I was I, as we were talking about or going through um, that question on forgiveness, it reminded me of uh, Dr. Uh, Jordan Cooper, whom we appreciate much. Um, but he's talked about um, I've heard him talk about, you know, first John one nine and how that isn't talking about a Christian you know, going back and confessing their sins as a Christian, this is really referring to some sort of re-justification um, because if, and I think if I recall correctly, is if faith is subjective and can get you in, then it can also get you out. And so there's this kind of repetitious process that a Christian uh, would have to go through. That's from what I recall my understanding. But, you know, I would take this here in terms of the, First John 1 9 and the fifth petition to be talking about Christians. One, uh, Jesus is talking um, to Christians, if I recall correctly from the context, um, and especially the language that is being talked about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So, this is clearly talking about believers. Um, so, those who are forgiven, uh, unless you believe in some sort of rejustification. Uh, this would have to be talking about Christians in a subjective sense, not in an objective judicial sense as it relates to sin. Otherwise, we lose our salvation and then we can be rejustified again, which undermines justification uh, completely. So this has to be talking about uh, a subjective forgiveness, a fatherly displeasure. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's important to, that we discuss that distinction there. All right, question 146. 
Uh, what is the sixth petition? Answer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are feeble and weak by nature and cannot stand one moment without our deadly enemies, Satan, the world, and our own flesh. It's interesting that he follows Luther's um, trichotomy there. Uh, Satan, the world, and our flesh, incessantly attacking and assaulting us. Therefore, uphold, establish, and strengthen us by the might of your spirit, that we may not in the spiritual combat yield as conquered, but withstand our enemies with stoutly, both stoutly and consistently until we get the full and perfect victory. So we're basically we're asking God to, it's not just merely a prayer to keep us from being tempted. It's really a prayer to stay away from sin in general, um, that we wouldn't fall into sin. That's what we're asking for. We're asking for victory over sin and that we would be able to gain victory over the enemy. Because uh, we are weak as, as Christians. We're just men. We're just, we're just flesh and bone. We don't have um, you know, inherent holiness to where we can fight these things on our own. We have, you know, as we talked about in our Romans 7 episode, we have this dichotomy within us. We have this flesh that we're fighting against and that we're commanded to put to death. And we have to be diligent against it. Um, and we can't do it on our own. No, we we are objectively justified. We're saved. We're secure in that sense. But we still struggle with sin, and we still must rely on um, our Lord all the time to get us through these struggles with, with sin and help us to fight these things. Um, as a, without His grace, we'll fail. We'll fail without His grace. Um, so this is a, a humble cry of the Christian to uh, protect against sin. Uh, question 147, how should you conclude this prayer? Answer, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We ask and crave all these things of you because you are our King and Almighty and are therefore both willing and able to give them to us. We ask these things that your holy name alone may receive glory. So at the end of the day, all of these things are to be done for the glory of God. It all comes back to him. It all goes back to him in praise and worship and, and bringing him glory. Um, and that's really the ultimate goal of, of all of these petitions and every element of this prayer. And, question, and finally, question 148. What does the final word amen mean? That the thing is sure and not to be doubted. This is so because my prayer is much more certainly heard by God than I feel in my heart that I declare that I desire things uh, from him. So it, the word amen is basically just an affirmation of what we're saying is true. And so when we're doing this, we're, we're saying what we say, and then it, it's certainly not an oath, but it's just saying, I agree with what is being said. I'm affirming with what is being said. And I think it just points to the solemnness of prayer. And we throw around the word amen all the time. You know, we'll say it jokingly, you know, when, when we just agree with someone in general, even outside of a religious context, you know, people will say amen to that or whatever, um, because the concept around it is affirmation of the truth of what someone is saying. And so that really sums up our discussion um, around the Lord's Prayer. Um, again, a, a shorter chapter, shorter episode, um, but hopefully it's been helpful. Sean, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, no. Okay. 
And with that, everyone, thank you for joining us this evening. Um, Lord willing, next Friday, we will have uh, Pastor Robert Briggs and Pastor Steve Meister from California on the show um, to dis discuss some important topics. So Lord willing, we will be back next week um, with them on the show, and hopefully that is a beneficial discussion. But with that, everybody, have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.